Hi and welcome to Financial Education for the Nation. My name's Warren Shute and I'm here to talk to you about your emotions and are your investments misbehaving. This episode has been sponsored by IDELO, the price comparison website. Okay, so what do I mean by that? Are your emotions misbehaving? I, quit, I regularly quote that we are physical beings run by our emotions. And I really mean that. You know, I think that our emotions dictate how we act and how we think. And our emotions are affected by a whole manner of things. Um, nutrition and diet is being one of them. And our external influences as well. If we wake up and stub our toe, for example, we tend to carry on having a bad day. But when it comes to investing, what I really mean is our emotions play a bigger role in our investment experience than we might think. Uh, for the 20 years up until December 15, so a few years back now, but it's, it's good data, it's 20 years up until December 15, the S&P 500, which is the largest 500 companies in America, um, returned an average of 9.85%. And if I look at the data now, the return is pretty consistent. It's about that. It's just over 9%. Okay, now 9%. So you would think then, okay, if I'm an investor and I invest in the S&P 500, I'm going to get about a 9.8% less fee. So if I'm paying maybe a 1% fee in total, I should be hitting late eights near a 9%, something like that. Now you'd be way out of the ballpark. The average investor was returning around about 5%. And why is that? Why, where, where is that gap? It's not fees, I can tell you that, it's not fees. It's investor behavior. When investing, we often behave illogically because we make decisions based on our emotions, not on the facts, not on the investment strategy, the investment philosophy. Um, study after study shows that investors like to buy when the market's going up. So if you're listening to this in July 2020, um, market's going up, are you getting excited? Are you wanting to be part of that party? Are you wanting to invest? Now there's nothing wrong with that, but what's your investment strategy? Because when the market turns down, because it will turn down, it's not a if the market turns down, I promise you, I know one thing in the last 25 years of doing this, the market goes up and the market goes down. Now, it goes up more than it goes down, hence why we have growth. But it goes up and it comes down. So when it goes down, are you going to become fearful and are you going to sell your investments? Um, this is so common. And hey, I'll bring it back to home, okay? Hands on the heart, cars on the table. In April this year, we had the pandemic and the markets had a series of falls quite success, um, quickly. Um, I think it was end of March, actually. I should probably should look to the data before I start talking. I wasn't planning on saying this. Um, and I had to have a good look at my portfolio and think, what do I do? You know, we've never experienced a pandemic before. Do I sell? Do I get out? Do I reduce my exposure? Because I was in some quite aggressive investments because I'm in the accumulation stage. I want to grow my portfolio. And with all big decisions, all big purchases, all big decisions, I always sleep on it because I believe the subconscious mind has the ability to make decisions for us. 
which are more aligned to our true values as opposed to our conscious mind, which is more affected by our emotions. And when I slept on, I woke in the morning, I realized that actually, you know what? I'm really proud of the companies and funds that I own. And I was very happy to hold them because if I had if I own them as a private owner, so if I own Lexington Wealth Management, if I own part of those companies as a private owner, I wouldn't be looking to get out of them. The only reason I was looking to get out is because other companies were falling and the market was pulling back and there is a market for me to do that. And I realized at that moment that actually, no, this is behavioral finance. This is emotional investing and that I needed just to stay alone stick with the investment program, stick with the plan and just carry on investing. So we're all affected by it. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, what I would say to you is have an investment plan. It's one thing I look back. I looked at my investment philosophy, my investment plan and said, OK, this is where I was. This is where I am now. This is where I want to go. And this is what I was sort of lining out. So it's a, it's a big word philosophy, but it just needs to be something very straightforward. Um, what's your outcome? Why are you investing? What's the end goal? Where are you today? And what steps are you going to take along the way? What are you going to do when there is a catastrophe in the world, whether it's a terrorist attack or a pandemic? Uh, because these things will occur. So um, your emotions are affected so much so that it affects or can influence our investment decisions. So we're often said that we buy more into the market when it's going up and then some of us like to sell when it's going down. Um, and that's a human reaction of we get overexcited and greedy and then we get over pessimistic and fearful. And that's not what we're trying to accomplish. We're trying to accomplish a boring long term investment strategy. So we get our fun and enjoyment outside of our investment portfolio as opposed to in it. Um, but we can definitely overreact more during certain times of our life, for periods of uncertainty. So one time might be um, when we come into retirement. So we come into retirement, we're more pessimistic, more worried to make sure that we don't run out of money because we've no this income tap that we've had for all these years, 20 plus 30 years is stopped and we're now going to live off our, off our portfolio. Um, if we sell our business, we come into a capital sum of money that can also affect our investment strategy. We have to reevaluate it and make sure we make the right decisions. Um, and world catastrophes, so whether it's the financial crisis of 2007, whether it was terrorist attacks of 9-11, or whether it's the um, pandemic, which is more recent right now. These are things can, don't have to, but can affect how we feel and how we act on our investment philosophy. So really the whole idea is we have this investment plan which sits alongside our money plan and it just dictates, okay, where are we today? What, how much money do we have invested? How much are we going to put aside? What's our asset allocation? How are we going to invest it? Are we going to invest into index funds? Are we going to invest some into direct equities? Are we going to tilt it to anything in any way? And um, what are we going to do when these uh, occurrences happen? And we're going to review it year by year because I know as your portfolio increases with value, that's another thing that often makes people more cautious. You know, losing 50% of, say, a thousand pounds, so you're getting out of 500, is a lot easier for many people than losing 50% of 10 million. Um, and the rationale often behind that is, well, I can earn 500 pounds by going back to work and things. That's quite easy. I'm not easily going to be able to earn 5 million pounds back. But remember, it's not a loss. 
It is a retracement, it is a pullback, and it is expected, and we should expect these things. Um, it was very interesting. One study analysed over 10,000 trades from clients in a brokerage firm, um, and what they concluded from it is the stocks that they purchased underperformed the stocks that they sold by about 5% in one year and nearly 9% in two years. Um, in other words, if they traded less often, they would have done better. Um, and this study has been repeated numerous times across different markets and things, and the whole conclusion, percentages slightly different, has been the same. So basically, look at what you're doing, buy companies that you like, have a reason behind that, and don't change your mind often. You know, overconfidence um, causes investors to exaggerate their ability to predict future events. So in the run-up to the pandemic, we had a number of clients, not many, but a number of clients who wanted to get out of the market. Um, and unfortunately, we actually said goodbye to one client because he wouldn't listen to us. And if we're going to give advice to people, we need you to listen to us because otherwise there is no relationship, there's no respect there. And it's not a respect for ego's perspective, it's respect to protect you. Um, you know, selling out of the market when it's going down is the wrong thing to do. Um, particularly when you have time on your side until you need to access the money. Um, but you know, your, your, your overconfidence is a bias to thinking that you know more than the market. Um, is a bias. Really, you need to diversify your portfolio globally and hold on to it. Um, same with um, sort of hindsight, so looking at it and thinking, oh my God, the, 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 the recent past has been terrible. It's going to be terrible going forward. But just like it's not a good idea to buy stocks in the climbing market or sort of overload on stocks, should I say, in the climbing market, um, it's not a good idea to sell stocks or underbuy in a falling market it's almost like you want the revolt the uh, roles to be reversed buy low and sell high um, so one thing you can do to protect yourself from all this is work with a financial planner now this isn't a plug for you to go out and get a financial planner but if you feel that you have these tendencies to overreact and you need a sounding board having someone on your side a certified financial planner is certainly going to help you guide you through these emotions a lot easier. Now, some of you don't want to work the financial planner, and I respect that, and that's why we have the money plan, we have these podcasts and things to support you. But if you are thinking, actually, I could do with the financial planner, because they do a lot more than just investment, obviously, then go and check out my site, warrenshoot.com, and we've got a link in there to a directory of certified financial planners. Now, a certified financial planner is a particular type of financial planner who is qualified not only just academically in the technical knowledge, so in other words, they've passed their pensions, Exams, they pass their trust exams and tax exams and uh, investment exams, they pass those, but they've also had to put together a financial plan, a case study under exam conditions and submit it for scrutiny to be uh, assessed by other financial planners. Um, so not academics, but other financial planners mark this. Um, and it is a difficult exam. It is a very difficult exam. So as a kite mark, as a standard of quality, I often say to people, and I'm a certified financial planner myself, go and see a CFP, a certified financial planner, because they will work with you as a whole and they won't just focus on certain areas. If you do want to do it alone, if you do want to um, manage your own money and you don't want to work with the CFP, I want to respect your decision on that. And I want to give you five things that I think you need to know when working on your own. So the first thing, do nothing. 
So a conscious and thoughtful decision of doing nothing is still a form of action. Have your financial goals changed? If your portfolio is built around your long-term goals, as it should be, and not your short-term um, goals, then the changes in the market shouldn't make any difference to what you're doing. So what I mean by that is you've got your long-term goals. So you're saying, okay, I'm going to retire at age 60 and I need a million pounds. So I need to put X amount of money away every single year to achieve that outcome. And on a expected return of say 6%, 7%, 8%, whatever you work with, um, I should achieve that. Now, is that expected return commensurate? Does it reflect the portfolio that I'm in? So if you're 80% bonds, for example, 20% equities, and you're expecting the 8% return, it's possibly unlikely that you're going to achieve that. Um, as a general rule of thumb, we tend to say about 10% of your equity exposure. So if you, it is a rule of thumb. Please don't hold me to it. It's a rule of thumb. So if you're 80% um, uh, equities, an 8% return is there or thereabouts, the kind of thing you should be expecting. 100% uh, equities is a 10% return, that kind of thing. Okay, so is that commensurate? If it is, then great. So when the market goes down, these are average returns. Just keep buying in during this process. And then as you approach your retirement age, you might then have part of your investment plan, a strategy to de-risk it. So you start accumulating or increasing your, equity, your fixed income exposure um, from maybe 100% equities and you should go to 10% um, fixed income, 20% fixed income, 30% fixed income, and the balance being an equity. So you're sort of ending up that sort of level. Um, and what this does is it just de-risks your volatility of portfolio and allows you to have a nicer experience through retirement. And through retirement, generally you should be looking around about a 60-40 split, a 60% equity, 40% fixed income. That's just a, just a general rule of thumb. Number two, I love this quote, money is soap. Now this quote comes from economist Gene Farmer Jr. Someone I've met myself had a drink with, um, incredible individual and very, very interesting and funny. And what he said was, money is like a bar of soap. The more you handle it, the less you have. Now, I just think that's fantastic. And it is true, isn't it? Because you don't move it from every time you transact something there's a trade there's a cost um there's what i think or what we call is slippage so for example you sell it one price buy another the market's moved so you've kind of missed out on that uh, change in the market so again get your investment plan get your investment plan down what's your risk profile what do you want to go for um and buy your portfolio and step number one do nothing Number three, never sell equities in the downward market. You wouldn't rush to put your house up for sale if house prices turned south. So don't rush to sell equities when the bear's out, the bear being a downward market. Wait it out. So bear markets come and go all the time, more frequently than you might appreciate. Um, significant downturns in the market, in my experience we can go back to the um, tech bubble of 2000 so that's now 20 years away ago um, I was starting out my career and I'll confess that I don't feel I was as prepared for that as I possibly should have been uh, the financial crisis of 2007 2008 when Northern Rock uh, went bust um, that I feel I was phenomenally well prepared for um, and I helped my clients guide, my, guide them through there but that was another serious period in the equity markets and 
the most recent, being the pandemic, um, wasn't as severe as I expected. And that's for another podcast. It's to do with how we don't live in a democracy now. We live in a quasi-government democracy um, that they dictate how they want the markets to be, as opposed to allowing the markets to be completely free. Um, because they pumped so much money into the economy. And they learned from the financial crisis 2007. There was reports after that that they wished they'd done more. And this time they certainly have done more and they continue to do more. So the markets in 2000, 2007 retraced 50%. And I still say to people, expect a market retracement of 50% of your equity exposure. So if you're 100% stock market, expect your portfolio to pull back 50%. Um, Although in the most recent time, I think it fell about 35% before it started rallying off again. Um, number four, boring is best. It's academically proven that a disciplined approach delivers higher returns. Yes, it is boring, but it works. If you don't have discipline, you shouldn't manage your own investments. Now, I get this quite often. My clients say to me, hey, look, we get the returns. The, the portfolio is doing what you said. I understand what it's doing. But hey, come on, Warren, it's boring. You know, it, it, let's get some excitement here. Let's get some more um, higher risk stuff in there. And I don't disagree with that, but certainly don't move away from what we call your core and satellite approach. You, know, you have certain goals to achieve. Let's tick those first. Make sure you're on target for those. Then you can start considering other things. And then a core satellite approach means you have your core portfolio, I'd say roughly 80% um, in a boring um, portfolio. And then 20% of your money at most um, into the well-researched, well-looked-into, sensible investments. Don't go just throw it at the wall. Um, in buying on a punt. It's not worth it. Um, buy sensible investments. And then number five, the last of the top five, diversify. Nobody can ac accurately predict the future. So spread your investments globally. You know, we, we, here at Lexington, we often get out what we call the um, patchwork quilt. I think I might have shown on previous podcasts where it's the best performing sector or country in the previous 12 months. And it goes back sort of 20 years. And... Um, yeah, it's great. In the, there's, there's no, it's random. You know, there's no country that's doing particularly well. You look at it, oh my goodness me, New Zealand is amazing. Let's load up on New Zealand. And then before you know it, New Zealand's at the bottom. It's the worst performing country. So globally diversity, spread your money all the way around. There's no point in just thinking one country's going to outperform forever. So this started with emotions because I'm very conscious that in the current market, we're all a little bit, we could be a little bit confused. We're expecting there to be a recession or in a recession, but we're expecting it to be worse than it is. We've got unemployment increasing, but the stock market just keeps going up. And what I say to you is don't predict the market. Warren Buffett doesn't predict the market. Um, don't try it yourself. You just buy the market take on as much risk as you feel comfortable with, and that would be defined as 50% of the equity value expect as a retracement. So if you're 100% equity, expect at some point your portfolio to fall 50%. If you're 60% equity, at some point, expect your portfolio to fall 30%. That's a rule of thumb, look at that. And then from that, you can expect, generally speaking, a 10% return of your equity exposure as a rule of thumb. I'm trying to give you guys here, please don't hang your hat on them because it's a moving feast, beast, and lots of things go on. But I do appreciate people like some kind of guidance. And because you don't have a Q&A option here, uh, although a lot of you message me, 
Um, you just want some things to take away, okay? Uh, and then hold, 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 hold. And Warren Buffett is famously quoted as saying his favorite holding period is forever. Okay, so what was in the news this week? Um, one thing I wanted to bring to your attention is um, if you're entitled to receive child benefit, okay, you should at least make sure you've completed the claim form because um, the entitlement to child benefit is not only the child benefit payment, but also qualifies you for national insurance credits, uh, which can protect entitlement to state pension. Um, so a real key thing there is if you have a couple where one of you go out to work and one of you stays at home, so it could be the lady going out to work and the husband stays at home, um, make sure the husband claims for the child benefit because the lady will be out working getting national insurance contributions for her state, her state pension, but he'll be at home not getting any, so he needs to get those credits. Obviously, if the role's reversed the other way around, if the husband's out at work and the lady's at home, make sure the lady um, claims for the child benefit so that she gets the national insurance credits for the state pension. Um, it's very important. Also, I don't know about you, but one of the most exciting things when I was 16 was getting my national insurance card. I don't know if they actually get them anymore. Ugly colour they were then. Um, I'm sure they're still the same colour. But um, yeah, it automatically issues a national insurance card prior to their 16th birthday. So that's two, two good reasons for doing that. Um, something else in the news this week, an analysis from money.co.uk is showing that households could save eight £1,600 on average if they stuck to their spending habits during lockdown. Uh, the, site, so the site shows that 70% okay, of households were averaging savings more than £220 per week. Now, this is the financial planner in me, okay? So that ping, uh, the, uh, there's a chap called Paul Etheridge who trained me all these years ago, and he always would say, so what? So, so what does that tell you? So that tells me that if they invested that money into a pension, got an 8% return, over a 25-year period, they'll be looking at an excess of a million pounds saved. Sorry, a million pound fund. They would have saved that. They would have saved less than that, but a million pound fund in excess of. So if they'd have saved that 220 pounds a week into a pension fund, got their tax relief, kept it going for 25 years, they'd have in excess of a million pounds of retirement. I think that's pretty decent. So even if you got some money put away and you only save half of that it's going to make a big difference to those glory years um okay this week's q a so questions that came through this week uh question came through from a nurse i think it was i'm 35 years old i worked for the nhs for over five years i immediately joined the pension scheme good on you and i'm still in it double good on you um should i look to start a private pension you are looking for a gold star i'm impressed i like it um my response was have you repaid your unsecured debt and have you built an emergency reserve so step one let's get all that unsecured debt repaid car finance credit cards loans the lot get them repaid off um, and now do you have between three and six months of your uh, expenses on deposit if you have brilliant now split your excess money, the amount you're looking to put into a pension, 50-50. Let's put half onto your uh, mortgage and half into your pension. If you've repaid your mortgage already, brilliant, pop it all the excess into the pension. Just remember, you are limited to £40,000 a year, unless you're a particular high earner, um, or 100% of your earnings. All right, so if you are around that sort of level, just be careful. Um, you will need to ask the NHS for a pension input amount statement. So every year from a defined benefit scheme, a final salary pension, it's not worked on how much you pay in as an individual, it's worked on how much benefit you derive from being a member. And that's known as the pension input amount. Deduct that from the 40,000, 
that leaves you how much you can pay into your pension up to a cap of 100% of what you earn. I had a couple of these questions, actually. The second question is one which has been quite familiar. Um, I had a few of them come through, so I definitely have to mention it. I'm, I'm considering becoming a Spanish resident for the end of the year because Brexit is coming. Um, can I continue my pension contributions? Now, the fascinating thing here is so many people assume no because they think you need relevant earnings. But actually, it's yes. You can continue funding a pension up to a limit of £3,600 a year gross. Remember, you pay pension contributions net and the tax relief is added. So that's 2,880 net. That's what you pay. And then the difference, it's 720 pounds, gets added. So it goes into the pension. Um, your contrib contributions continue for up to five years after the year you no longer are resident. So if you left this year, that would be in the 2020-2021 tax year. You've then got five years after that that you can carry on. Um, remember to send your questions in to me. I do like to answer them. Um, it's great sharing them uh, with people like this. I pick a few out and share it on my podcast, but please send them through to warren at warrenshoot.com. Okay, so the Smarter Spender section is supported by Idelo, the price comparison website. Um, I only allow people to support me um, on the website and things of sites and facilities and services that I use or have used in the past because I think it's so important. And Idelo is one of those ones that all my family use, um, particularly my kids and myself, uh, when they want to buy an item. So my son might come to me and say, oh, Dad, I want this new Xbox game. I say, oh, great, if you run it through Idelo. Yes, I have to run it through ID low because I do it every time you say, and I've, here you go, look, here's the price. And actually, Dad, look, if you've seen, they've got a new feature here and it does the price change. So uh, I don't know if you're aware. A uh, great thing I really like about Ideload, and he does too, is you can see the price history. It's how things are going. So um, that's where we get the data from. Uh, what's dipped in price this week? So lawnmowers are down 11% um, less this week than last week. And garden hoses down 60%. So, hey... Let's get doing some gardening. Lockdown, I really did start enjoy, enjoy gardening. Never enjoyed it before. Actually, really, really like it now. Um, computer mics are 18% cheaper than on average. But do you know what? When will the webcams become available again? They seem to have just sold out the whole world over. So uh, I'm struggling to get hold of a webcam here. Idealo can't tell me that, unfortunately. But uh, it can tell me how the price changes are going. Um, now, what is good to buy this week? Now, we've just come back from a couple of days, three days in the um, uh, Forest of Dean, and we had a fantastic time. Camping, love it, it's great, really good. But I used to hate it. And one of the things I love about camping now is I've got an inflatable tent, so I literally pump up the tent and it's done. It goes up in no time and it's really easy. It's really easy to take down. So that's what I love. And guess what? July is the best month to buy camping equipment. So would you believe it? I, I find this hard to believe because I think everyone's camping, but apparently every year July is the best month to buy camping equipment. This is particularly true this year given that more Brits are choosing to head to the social distancing countryside for their summer holidays rather than flying all over the place and getting quarantined. So, um, hey, look on Idealo, see what camping equipment you can do, and I can highly recommend an inflatable tent. So, also, it's great for sleeping bags and camping mats. They're also cheap this month. So, if you're looking to get away on holiday, maybe it's a camping holiday and hopefully we'll have some good sun as well. So all weather activity toys are also things that are um, consumer spending this 
week. And a couple of things that they're looking to do is basically entertain the kids during the summer holidays. Kids are broken up summer holidays virtually all over the country now, I think. So um, what are they going to be doing? Joe Wicks is no longer on the TV. Entertain us all. I think that guy is amazing. I love him. Uh, just a really kind heart. If you don't listen to Desert Island Disc, just do this. Go and listen to his episode on Desert Island Disc. Um, it is really good. I thought Desert Island Disc was only for old people, but this is amazing. But um, hey, active toys outside. Nerf guns, which I love. Water guns, that kind of thing. And outdoor things like um, trampolines and such. Maybe even the Space Hopper. But, sorry. Hey, just enjoy the summer. There's some great things um, out on sale as well. This has been Financial Education for the Nation. My name's Warren Shaw. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Remember, your emotions affect so much of what you're doing. Make sure you're consciously aware of it and stay safe. Until next time, take care.